My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. These guys are eating, you know, goat and sheep yogurt and sheep cheeses and sausages, and they have the highest life expectancy of any country. And that certainly goes against the party line. Fitness, nutrition, biohacking, longevity, life optimization, spirituality, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the Ben Greenfield Life Show. Are you ready to hack your life? Let's do this. All right, folks. Well, cold turkey might be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break a bad habit than quitting that bad habit, cold turkey. I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your crazy neighbor standing on a nail bed or something like that. I'm talking about this thing called fume. This little thing called fume holds a hallowed place in my fanny pack, actually. I've been hitting up the maple pepper core in that thing quite a bit. So uh, anyways, the fume is not a vape. It's a flavored air device. You breathe natural flavors through it. Like I said, I got the maple pepper core loaded up in mine right now. Turns out black pepper really hits the spot so I can feel satisfied without breathing in or chewing on anything bad. It's amazing. I've got another one called the crisp mint core, so I can breathe in mint-flavored air rather than a pen infused with something else. You know what I mean? That kind of bad habit that isn't good for you. Instead, you just basically use this pen, and it is an essential oil pen. It's amazing. A flavored air device. You get the taste sensation and the fidget and that hand-to-mouth action, but you don't have to feel guilty about the habit. It's a good habit to have. They have a whole bunch of natural, delicious flavors. It's not a vape. Don't get me wrong. It's a natural air device. It's fully legal. It doesn't have anything bad in it. I even use it on an airplane. I get a few funny looks with people who think I'm vaping on an airplane, even though I'm not. It's just basically flavored air, and it tastes great. I found it made my cravings go out the window. It's weird. It's a crazy life hack, but it works, and it's super sexy and cool looking too. So it's called Fume, F-U-M. You can get 10% off this thing if you go to tryfume.com, tryfum.com, use code BEN to save 10%. So you can accelerate humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up what's called their journey pack today. It has a whole bunch of cool flavors, including that crisp mint core and the maple pepper core, two of my favorites. So again, tryfum.com slash BEN and use code BEN to save 10% off your order from Fume, F-U-M. All right, folks. So there's all sorts of like darlings of the longevity enhancement industry. You probably heard of like NAD and spermidine and astaxanthin and CBD and keto, 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 keto. A lot of people haven't heard of urolithin A though. Okay. Urolithin A is making waves in the longevity and gut health industry. So your bacteria in your gut make these things called postbiotics. I like to think of it as like bacterial poop. And they can help to upgrade your body's cellular power grid and give your body the energy it needs to optimize. Urolithin A is one of those first major postbiotics that has actually been studied and in multiple studies has been shown to have major health benefits, including maintaining muscle health, which is really cool. So Timeline Nutrition cracked the code on making this stuff bioavailable. And they've got a berry powder that allows you to mix your urolithin A into breakfast yogurt or, say, a smoothie. They've got a protein powder, which gives you the muscle health benefits of whey protein added to the bioenergetics of urolithin A. And then they have soft gels for when you're on the run and you want a convenient grab-and-go style choice. So anyways, Timeline Nutrition's product that has the urolithin A in it is called MitoPure. It's MitoPure. And all of my listeners get 10% off. 
So here's how. You go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Ben. That's T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N, TimelineNutrition.com slash Ben. You can try their starter pack with all three, the berry powder and the whey protein and the soft gels. It's amazing stuff. And if you haven't experienced what it feels like to have optimized urolithin A levels, you can have your mind blown. So check this stuff out. Builds up in the body. You feel better and better the more you use it. So Cannot recommend urolithin A highly enough if you want to have an optimized longevity and muscle health protocol. Check them out, timelinenutrition.com slash Ben. So I have this stuff in the pantry that my wife seems to be addicted to. It's this powder. She found it there. It must have arrived when I was gone traveling, and she's now been using it to sleep. And then I started using it to sleep and to relax, even to nap. It's L-theanine, GABA, and over 70 trace minerals, along with a special form of chelated magnesium called magnesium 3 and 8, which is the only form of magnesium known to penetrate the blood-brain barrier. And the name of this stuff is called Mello, M-E-L-L-O. It's made by Ned. And when I picked up the bag, I thought it was just magnesium. I didn't understand why my wife was flipping out about how amazing it was. Then I looked at the label and I was like, oh, this is way better than magnesium. Three forms of chelated magnesium, actually. GABA, L-theanine, amino acids, and over 70 trace minerals. Over 5,000 five-star reviews. They share all their third-party lab reports, so the stuff is clean. And you get 15% off anything from Ned. N-E-D. Ned. So you can become the best version of yourself. Go to helloned.com slash greenfield or enter code greenfield at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash greenfield to get 15% off. Well, folks, a long time ago, I interviewed a doctor. And he made a lot of waves on my podcast because we talked all about these compounds that you find in a lot of foods called lectins. He actually wrote an entire book about this called Plant Paradox. And it kind of turned a lot of heads in the health industry because, you know, we're often told to eat our eat our vegetables and you know, potatoes and tomatoes and whatnot. And uh this this went into how there could be some issues with that. And I'll link to that podcast uh, if you go to the show notes for today's podcast at bengreenfieldlife.com slash gut check. But that same doctor, Dr. Stephen Gundry, who hosts the top-rated health show, The Gundry Podcast, still sees multiple patients per day. We were talking before the episode. He's still a hardworking physician. He's the founder and director of the International Heart and Lung Institute Center for Restorative Medicine. He's a founder of Gundry MD, uh, which is a line of wellness products and supplements. And most relevant to today's discussion, I'm going to hold this up for those of you watching the video version, even though it's the probably the the ugly pre-release that I'm not <laughs> supposed to be holding up. But regardless, this There's is the real one. new book. <laughs> Let me see. You've got the real one. Hold on. I want to I see. Okay, yeah. The real one looks way better. I'll have to get my hands hey. on that eventually. Hey. It's called Gut Check. Gut Check. And it it is not just all about how you need to go jump off a cliff if you eat a legume. Uh, it's instead <laughs> all about the mitochondria, the microbiome, some very interesting things about the blue zones, which I, I thought were, was super interesting, and um, all sorts of new information that I think uh, sometimes defies the status quo in the nutrition industry, but I think it is important stuff to talk about. So, Stephen, I'm, I'm pretty happy to have you back on, man. Ben, thanks for having me. It's great to see you again. And uh, yeah, I'm real excited about this book. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, you know, you can see here in the video, I got all sorts of pages turned over. But the part that I thought honestly was most interesting, the whole book is great, but you poke some holes in the blue zones. 
I want to hear your take on the blue zones because it's super interesting. And you know, I just got back from a conference in Vegas where Dan Butner was the the headliner, and there's of course the new show on Netflix. So tell me what you think about the blue zones. Well, you know, it's interesting. I do I do have a whole chapter about it, and um, like I say in the chapter, Paul Simon once sung that a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And certainly in, in my years of research, uh, people um, actually look for things that confirm their bias and disregard things that doesn't that don't confirm their bias. And uh, I've spoken with Dan. He's a great guy and very dedicated. But um, the Blue Zones actually came about, most people don't know. At a meeting in Montpellier, France, in the south of France, a number of years ago, that Dan attended, and in that meeting, meeting it was on longevity. Um, a researcher uh, took a blue felt tip pen, magic marker, and had a map of the world and circled five areas that he thought had exceptional longevity. Now, again, the the word is he thought. Number one. Was he going off? Obviously, he wasn't just, you know, blindfolded and throwing a, a random pin on the tail of a donkey. Did he, no. have, did he have any reason for circling the areas that he did? Yeah, there were actually pretty good reasons. Um, but what those reasons are, I think, are uh, quite frankly subject to debate. And my take is that uh, if you're looking for things that support your worldview or nutritional view of um, veganism or vegetarianism, then these five blue zones at the surface look like pretty good places to plant your flag. Having been the only only nutritionist has actually spent much of my career in the only blue zone in the United States, Loma Linda, California, uh, I guess I have a right to say something about uh, that interpretation. So one of the things that um, is touted in Blue Zones is that the Blue Zones all in general don't eat a lot of meat. And that, in fact, uh, I completely agree with. But it's what they eat that maybe is more important that's missing. So um, the Blue Zones supposedly eat a lot of grains and beans and the eating of grains and beans is what makes them so healthy. But uh, interestingly enough, Okinawa is one of the blue zones and actually the only description of the traditional Okinawan diet was done by the U S military right after we uh, took over that Island after world war II, And we actually recorded their diet and okay. the diet consisted of uh, 85% purple or blue sweet potato. And they don't eat rice. Um, hmm. Cause really? they can't, yeah, they can't grow rice on Okinawa. It is. That, in, that's, that's so, surprising. I think a lot of people just synonymize Japan with rice, but they don't even eat it in Okinawa. Nope. Not at all. Wow. And they don't eat soy. They eat miso, um, fermented soy, but they don't eat yeah. tofu. And they're actually notorious or famous for eating lots of spicy greens and vegetables. In fact, throughout Japan, they're called the spice eaters. Now, now, could I derail you for just a second, Stephen? 
you made an important differentiation there that I don't want to necessarily skim over. You said they eat fermented soy, not soy. Why is that important? Well, traditionally, cultures have always detoxified the plant toxins by fermentation. And they, like other cultures, uh, fermented the toxins in soy and used it as miso or natto. And that's what they eat. And I think that's really important. And I, I, I talk about it throughout the book. And uh, fermentation changing plant compounds, or for that matter, changing animal compounds uh, with fermentation is really one of the, the highlights, the key points of, of gut check. So, yeah, so they ferment soy. And what, what happens when you ferment soy? Like what's in soy that you'd want to get rid of when you say you ferment the toxins? What exactly is going on? Well, soy is a legume and a, a bean, and beans uh, have a lot of proteins that are a plant defense compound called lectins. And as I've talked about, plants, a lot of plants don't want us to eat them, and they don't want us to eat their babies, except under, under circumstances where they can control the action. And there, these lectins are proteins that, interestingly enough, uh, bacteria uh, enjoy eating. Uh, give you an example. We know that uh, there are oxalates in foods that are another defense system of plants. Mm. But normally, we would have a gut microbiome uh, that eats oxalates, thinks they're delicious. Most people who are sensitive to oxalates or think they're sensitive to oxalate don't have those bacteria in their gut anymore for reasons that you know I talk about in, in gut check. Believe it or not, there are uh, bacteria that enjoy eating gluten, which is also a lectin. Most of us don't have those bacteria anymore. So uh, fermentation was a way for people to detoxify lectins. For instance, the Incas uh, certainly use quinoa as a food, but the Incas yeah. always fermented their quinoa. They let it rot. See, I always thought, I always thought you just rinse it. And this is what I do also, you know, that if I'm going to have quinoa, I'll soak it overnight and rinse it a few times to try and remove the, what I understand is a soap-like irritant called a saponin from it. Yeah. But the, the, I, I'm guessing that in addition to the saponins, the only way to remove the lectins from quinoa would be fermentation? Fermentation or pressure cooking. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. You know, and the other thing, I think somebody, just for fun, people, um, traditionally beans have always been soaked um, for soaking, quote unquote, uh, leeches, lectins out of beans and saponins. Yeah. But. If anybody has actually soaked beans for any length of time, they'll notice that a large uh, scum occurs on the top of the water, and it's kind of bubbly. And believe it or not, there are bacteria on the skin of beans that ferment the beans. And we, to our peril, didn't understand that traditional cultures soaked their beans, uh, not 
just the soaking, but the soaking actually started the fermentation process. And so even traditionally prepared beans were fermented by traditional cultures. And that's how they actually detoxified them. Do you think that, because uh, my wife does this, that, that sprouting quinoa would result in a similar uh deactivation or removal of the lectin similar to fermentation of something like that? Actually, the exact opposite happens. And I oh, really? referenced that in the plant paradox. When the lectin content of a plant actually increases at the moment of germination, because now the baby is at its most sensitive to predation. And so plants actually increase lectin content uh, at sprouting. Now, once it starts growing, the lectin content decreases. So does that mean you'd want, if you had a sprout, you'd want to eat it far into the sprouting process? Correct. Correct. Okay. Okay. Which is what we do anyways. Like we, we harvest when the tail is pretty long and it's been several days, but you're saying like eating baby sprouts or sprouts that you've just started would actually do, be, do a worse job for your gut than just eating, say the bean unsprouted. Yeah, that's actually wow. true. And uh, I reference that. Uh, the references are in the plant paradox. Okay. All right. So back to Japan. They're, yeah. they're eating uh, fermented soy. And then when I interrupted you, you, you were talking about some kind of like a hot, spicy thing that they eat? Yeah, actually, they eat a lot of uh, spicy vegetables. They're literally called the spice eaters. So the point of all that is that um, one of the blue zones uh, don't eat what uh, is proposed is keeping everybody so healthy. But I think probably the most remarkable example of the Blue Zones is Sardinia. And so Sardinia is an island uh, of Italy. Um, Sardinia is essentially two populations on Sardinia. There are people who live down by the water, and they're mostly fishermen. And then there are people who live in the mountainous regions that are uh, sheep and goat herders. And what's interesting is only the people who live up in the mountains have longevity, number one. The folks who live down by the water don't have remarkable longevity. The other thing that's striking is that it's actually the men who bring the age up and it's the men in the mountains that actually live as long as the women. Now, most people know that men in general live six to seven years less uh, long. as. I know. Women. It's, it's annoying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, and we can debate why that is. But these men actually live as long as women. And so that pulls their age up. Now, what's interesting is about 95% of the men smoke. And only about 25% of the women smoke. Wait, 95% of the men, including these long-lived mountain men in Sardinia? uh, Believe it or not, it's the smoking that promotes their longevity. And that's what makes them, number one, uh, live as long as women. The other thing. Wait, wait, wait. What what do you mean mean? (laughs) the the smoking promotes their longevity, smoking cigarettes? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, nicotine is one of the greatest mitochondrial encouplers that anybody has ever discovered. And uncoupling your mitochondria, as I've written about in my last two books, is probably the smartest way to live a long time. 
And smoking, unfortunately, nicotine is a great way to do that. Now, there are side effects of smoking, as all of us know. And as a heart surgeon and cardiologist, don't smoke, folks. But we should learn the effects of smoking from the blue zones. Um, let me just digress for a second. Uh, Stefan Lindeberg, who uh, spent his lifetime uh, researching the Catavans in Papua New Guinea, who are a long-lived group of individuals who uh, smoke like fiends, and yet they have never been found to have a case of coronary artery disease, never had a stroke, and never had a case of cancer. And I'm assuming, by the way, that they're smoking the same kind of cigarette somebody might be smoking in America, you know, because I have some friends who will light up. I think there's a brand called American something, and it's a natural tobacco with supposedly fewer carcinogens than the average cigarette. But these aren't like special cigarettes or something like that. No. Okay. But the point, smoking smoking is really bad for producing oxidative stress. And I've written a lot about the negative effects of smoking that are countered by uh, vitamin C-containing foods. And interestingly enough, the reason we don't see the negative effects of smoking in these populations, and Sardinia and Catawba are not the exceptions, believe it or not, on the island of Icaria in Greece, another blue zone, the men, 99% of the men smoke, and only about 25% of the women smoke. In Acciaroli, south of Naples, the largest population of over the age of 100, it's a community of about 1,000 that I've visited, 30% of the people are over the age of 100. And there the same thing is true. The men are smokers and the women are not smokers. And it's the men smokers who pull up their average lifespan. And, and can, I, can I ask you a quick question about the smoking also? Because... You know, um, for example, Andrew Huberman has talked a lot about alcohol and the potential for alcohol to decrease lifespan. But many of the studies that I think he cites don't differentiate between, say, like a serving of alcohol a day with dinner and having, you know, all seven of those seven drinks a week at once on a Saturday evening. And this makes me think a little bit about the smoking. Are we talking about chain smoking throughout the day? Or are we talking about like <laughs> microdosing, I suppose, maybe a cigarette in the morning or the evening or something like that? No, these guys are pretty heavy smokers. And wow. so the question is, how do they get away with it? Well, again, the smoking is actually uses up almost all of your vitamin C. And as you and I know, we are one of the few animals that don't make our own vitamin C. Yeah. And vitamin C is essential, among other things, for repairing uh, the cracks that occur in collagen. And collagen is basically our rebar. And collagen is actually the rebar in blood vessels. And we knew in smokers that blood vessels flex uh, in coronary arteries and the collagen breaks. And normally that collagen is re-knit together by vitamin C. In smokers, they their, their vitamin C is used up in handling the oxidative stress. And so smokers uh, have and had a classic pattern 
of blockages in coronary arteries that where the flexion of vessels occur. But their coronary arteries were gorgeous beyond where these discrete blockages were. And as a heart surgeon, it was in a way a piece of cake to do bypass surgery on smokers because number one, they were skinny. And number two, they were uh, discrete blockages and the rest of their blood vessels were gorgeous. So what is proposed in these long-lived people who smoke is that they're getting the benefit of nicotine with they're blocking the effects of oxidative stress by having a very high antioxidant rich diet. For instance, uh, olive oil actually mm. increases our own native vitamin C production, doubles the production of vitamin C that we do make. So wow. that's how they, quote, get away with it, but also get the benefit of nicotine. Interesting. You know, you're making me feel really good about that that annual cigar I'm going to smoke on New Year's morning. And we do, <laughs> All right. We do an annual New Year's Day polar plunge down at the river and then me and my friend smoke a cigar in the hot tub. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting, though, this idea about nicotine. I've been aware of its benefits for some time. I'm actually wearing, you might not be able to see it in the video because it might be too far down, but I wear this little nicotine patch. It's about a 14 milligram nicotine patch. And that's because of the effects of nicotine on mitochondrial uncoupling, in addition to focus and energy. And I do that because some of the delivery mechanisms for Nicotine can be fraught with artificial sweeteners or, in the case of True. a cigarette, carcinogens, oxidative stressors, etc. And then I also have a hefty use of mitochondrial uncoupling strategies that I incorporate throughout the day. I have bitter melon extract before dinner. I do a cold plunge in the pepper grinder. I've got grains of paradise instead of black pepper, which is a mitochondrial uncoupling agent. And so yep. I'm, I'm aware of this and weave it in throughout the day. But do you think that the blue zones where people are smoking, that these people would live even longer if they, for example, were still taking in these high doses of antioxidants and mitochondrial uncoupling agents, but weren't smoking? Well, that's, uh, I think that's a good question. But um, mitochondrial uncoupling, at least uh, in the research that's been done, is truly one of the keys to longevity is, as you and I both know, and I assume that's why you're wearing your nicotine patch. Um, it's also a really good way to stay thin. <laughs> that's right. Co co coffee and cigarettes, the, the oldest school, cheap fat loss hack ever. <laughs> that's, that's exactly true. Uh, but I think we've, we've given, you know, again, smoking is really dumb. Um, it's really dumb, particularly since most smokers, uh, Western smokers, do not have the benefit of all of these other plant compounds that they're eating that's protective to them. I think the other thing that I point out in the book, which is remarkable, is that almost all of these societies are, first of all, they all live in uh, hilly communities. Loma Linda means beautiful mm -hmm. hill, and Loma Linda is a hilly community. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so they all live in hilly communities. But number two, almost all of these areas, uh, Sardinia, Acaria, 
the uh, Costa Rica, uh, the Nagoyan Peninsula in Costa Rica, the other blue zone, all are sheep and goat herders. Now, what's so interesting about that is that goat and sheep uh, milk, 30% of the fats in goat and sheep milk are medium chain triglycerides. And as you and I know, medium chain triglycerides are absorbed in a totally different way as a fat and go directly to our liver and generate ketones. And as I wrote about in Unlocking the Keto Code, my last book, ketones are a signaling agent that tell mitochondria to uncouple and promote mitogenesis. And that's my humble opinion of why they work so well. So these guys are consuming. Uh, large amounts of sheep and goat yogurts and sheep and goat cheeses. And so they have another uncoupling agent as part of their diet. And it's fascinating that all of these communities are sheep and goat herders. In fact, as I talk about in the, in the book, the country in the world with the longest lifespan, the longest recorded normal lifespan, average lifespan, is a small country between uh, France and Spain called Andorra. Andorra. Now, now people don't people don't bring that up as much when they talk about the blue zones, do they? Because I haven't heard that one discussed very much. Well, because they happen to be sheep herders. And the diet of Andorra is sheep yogurt, sheep cheeses, and get this, sausages. And that story certainly does not resonate if you're trying to make a case that, be, <laughs> that beans and grains are good are the keys to longevity. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't see Dan Butner eating a lot of sausages. No, <laughs> no. Now you go. Well, wait a minute. How are these guys getting away with eating sausages? Well, as I point out in the book, people ancestors did not have any storage system for the animals that they ate. When when you when you say storage system, you don't mean endogenously. You mean a place to actually store the meat to keep it from spoiling. Yeah, you can, I mean okay. meat spoils. There weren't yeah. any refrigeration. There was nothing. So people, and particularly, you're not going to waste any part of an animal, and you know you eat nose to tail. So most of these people uh, have figured out how to ferment their meat, and wow. that fermentation process the bacteria actually eat a really nasty compound in beef, lamb, and pork, and milk called NU5GC, but that's another subject. And they completely make this food not only not bad for you, but actually good for you. The other thing that happens with fermentation is that you produce polyamines like spermidine. And Spermidine is another spectacular compound for mitochondrial uncoupling. Uh, so these guys are eating, you know, goat and sheep yogurt and sheep cheeses and sausages, and they have the highest life expectancy of any country. And that certainly goes against um, the party line. Uh, so there's this stuff, uh, I think it comes out of Russia. They call it in Russia, the conqueror of mountains, destroyer of weaknesses, something like that. It's called shilajit. They, they harvest it from the Himalayas. 
And it's like this black, tarry, mineral-rich substance. And of course, as you can imagine, it does not taste that great. I've tried it before from many different sources. And it definitely gives you tons of vigor and strength. And by the way, it does a bunch of other stuff too. It's, it's got a ton of antioxidants in it, minerals, beneficial uh, support for your bacteria, supports detoxification because it can bind to toxins and heavy metals. But like a lot of these superfoods, it just doesn't taste fantastic. Enter Organifi. They just came out with the vanilla cinnamon shilajit gummy. I have no clue how they did this, but it tastes stellar. Supports healthy testosterone levels, supports bone and muscle health, aids cellular energy and mitochondrial health, decreases fatigue. And of course, you can tell your friends that you now have a bag full of conquer of mountains, destroyer of weaknesses, handy. That tastes really good. So vanilla cinnamon flavored Shilajit. Who knew? And Organifi has cracked the code on making this stuff taste really good. Organifi.com for 20% off these new Shilajit gummies. Organifi with an I.com slash Ben for 20% off anything from Organifi, including those fantastic gummies. Hey, you want to spice things up in the bedroom and boost your sexual performance and do it naturally without nasty prescription drugs? You got to check out this stuff, Joy Mode. It's a powder. Put it in water, or if you're like me and you're a savage, you can dry powder into your mouth. Contains clinically supported doses of L-citrulline, arginine, yohimbine, and vitamin C. So after taking this stuff called their Sexual Performance Booster, again, by Joy Mode, your blood levels of arginine and yohimbine increase, and that directly promotes nitric oxide production, penile tissue relaxation, and increased drive. Well, the antioxidant action of vitamin C protects the nitric oxide from oxidative degradation, which then enhances the blood flow promoting activity of the nitric oxide. They thought of everything. They're super smart over at Joy Mode, and collectively these effects enhance sex drive and blood flow naturally to the penis or to the clitoris. My wife takes it too. It's amazing. You get better orgasms, better blood flow. You can kiss nasty prescription medications goodbye and have natural guilt-free energy for boosting your sexual performance. You can get 20% off your first order from Joy Mode. How? Go to usejoymode.com slash greenfield. That's usejoymode.com slash greenfield. J-O-Y. Use joymode.com slash greenfield. They'll give you 20% off your first order. Yeah, well, well, that that makes me want to visit Andorra as well. It sounds like a fantastic breakfast. I I I I think you just mentioned something really important though. This this new five GC, because of course, you know, especially with the audience that we're talking to, Stephen, people are kind of aware that they shouldn't eat ultra processed foods, and some of them are being very careful with grains and you know some of the hefty doses of lectins and seed oils and the like. Yeah. But of course, I think that beef and pork and um, well, what was the other meat that's high in the new 5GC besides beef lamb. and pork and lamb? These are popular, you know, and, and even, you know, even if people are choosing grass fed, grass finish, it's my understanding, they still do contain new 5GC. Can you explain what that is and why it's an issue? Yeah, um, and I talked about it. Uh, I, I talked about it in the plant paradox, and I, I got interested in New Five GC as a Zeno heart transplant surgeon and researcher. And Zeno transplantation means one species to another. And people who've been watching the news uh, know that there have been a couple now of pig to human uh, heart transplants uh, done by a friend of mine, Bartley Griffith at the University of Maryland. And when when we were researching this in, in the lab, 
if you put a pig heart in a baboon, that pig heart would last about oh, three or four hours before all the, all the blood would clot in its blood vessels. And I became famous for having an unmodified pig to baboon heart transplant for about a month rather than three or four hours. Wow. But one of the things that vexed us was this sugar molecule called NU5GC. Now, we carry a sugar molecule on the lining of our blood vessels that's virtually identical, called NU5AC. NU5AC. And the, the lining of the blood vessels, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I just did a podcast with the folks who have a supplement company called Calroy, and I started taking something they have that's uh, are called Arteriosil, which supports my glycocalyx. And, that, and when you're talking about the interior of the blood vessel and how it has these new 5, I don't even think you talk about this yet, but I think it's new 5AC that new 5GC somehow displaces. This is the glycocalyx you're referring to, yeah? That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So the glycocalyx is this um, little lining that line our blood vessels of primarily sugar molecules. And those sugar molecules in us are made up of new 5 AC. They differ from NU5GC by one molecule of oxygen. That's the only difference. Wow. Now, in the past, we thought that, well, we didn't think. So if you and I eat a NU5GC containing food, uh, have a glass of milk, we will absorb that NU5GC readily in our small intestine, and we will make antibodies to it as a foreign compound. And we can document this in humans. Humans have been nice enough to do this. And we can watch the antibodies rise. Uh, the more NU5GC containing foods, the more anti-NU5GC antibodies we make. So far, so bad. Mm -hmm. Now, it was thought that because these two compounds are very similar, that we, with those antibodies, could, by a molecular mimicry, attack are NU5AC sugar molecules in our glycocalyx. They're also in the glycocalyx that forms the blood-brain barrier, and they're also in the linings of our joint surfaces. Now, why is that interesting? Because uh, I'm the first to admit that uh, association does not mean causation, but there is strong association between meat-eating and milk drinking and arthritis, dementia, coronary artery disease, vascular disease, and cancer. Strong. Now, doesn't mean causation. But the new research, I think, uh, shows causation. Now, why? It turns out that NU5GC can displace NU5AC in these various uh, glycocalyx. And it is an antigenic molecule. And we make antibodies to it. So we attack NU5GC yeah. that's been substituted for NU5AC. Now, the good news is, and 
I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. I have no dog in this fight. In fact, I ought to have a dog in the fight the yeah, other way you, around. You, you ought to be having a porterhouse every night coming from there. It, it, exactly. In fact, funny, I see Omaha Steaks International advertise on TV every <laughs> night. And my 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 parents were were best friends with the with the owners of Omaha Steaks International. So yeah, I I should have a dog in this fight. Um, and. Quite frankly, I, I love a good grass-fed, grass-finished uh, piece of meat. But the good news is the less new 5G seafood you eat and the more new 5A seafood you eat, which are fish, shellfish, and chicken, proper chicken, and we can talk about that too, uh, then you displace new 5GC off of these structures, which is great news. Now, the other way, how we got to this point, is fermentation, bacteria eat new 5GC. So the fermentation process got rid of new 5GC, and the fermentation process of milk gets rid of the new 5GC in milk. That's why all these long-lived guys were having sheep yogurt and... and uh, goat yogurt, and they were having sausages. In fact, believe it or not, prosciutto is a fermented food, and prosciutto is loaded with polyamines. Yeah, you know, well, first of all, all the milk that I have is fermented. Ever since I interviewed Dr. William Davis, you know, I have access to goat's milk from our Nigerian dwarf goats in the backyard. One of my friends gets raw cow's milk, and I do a 36-hour fermentation with three different strains of probiotics that Dr. William Davis introduced me to. And my gut feels fantastic. It's wonderful. You get a steep rise in oxytocin, the feel-good hormone, and you consume this stuff <laughs> yeah. as well. El but, the, but the meat, you know, I I don't do a lot of fermentation of my meat. So I, I do have a few questions for you about this. Does dry aging and or wet aging count as fermentation, do you think? Uh, I believe it does. Uh, I've got a, a friend who's a James Beard award-winning chef who is uh, hot on the trail of this, and it does. Uh, he's shown that this sort of fermentation uh, dramatically reduces new five GC, okay. and I and I think it's interesting because growing up in Omaha, uh, any legitimate steakhouse. Um, dry aged uh, their 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 beef uh which is it's fascinating and, you know and these things were crusted with molds and oh yeah scum i know i've i've got i've got a steak locker out in my garage by the way i, I haven't used it as much as i probably should be using it based on what i'm discovering from you and in your book but when i have there's a there's a lining like a moldy lining on the outside it freaks a lot of people out you scrape yeah. it off yeah. You make sure there's no little streaks of that going into the meat, in which case you got to cut off that little piece. But that's basically what dry aging is. I set it out of humidity at a temperature. Yep. I dry age. One of my friends uh, on YouTube on the Guga Foods channel, he recently did a video about wet aging, and it results in a similar bacterial buildup on the outside of the meat. So, of course, right. it must be fermenting if the bacteria are building up there. Yeah. And and again, you look you look at these ancient cultures, and of course, this was the only way they had of preserving meat, but it turns out it made a potentially bad source of food into actually a superb source of food. And I think we tend to forget that. 
Hmm. Now, my second question for you regarding this is there, there must be something besides fermentation, I would imagine, that might offer some kind of protective effect when it comes to new 5GC. I know, for example, that some of these glycocalyx supporting compounds, they're based on sulfur-based products. I think that the Calroy one is even based on a seaweed-based product. Yeah, and, seaweed. Yep. And, and I was also kind of thinking about polyphenols. You know, a lot of these red powders and polyphenol rich compounds and the dark reds and purples of the plant kingdom. Do you think there's any type of protective effect from anything you can imagine or you found in your research when it comes to new 5GC for people who aren't able to eat only fermented meat when they have lamb or pork or beef? Well, I think, number one, the the evidence, the new evidence is, is actually very encouraging that you can displace new 5GC off of your glycocalyses by predominantly eating uh, new 5AC foods, uh, fish, shellfish, uh, wild fish, please, wild shellfish, and, and properly raised chicken. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, you're right. Uh, I've written a bunch of papers early in my nutritional career looking at people. We can, we can measure the flexibility of blood vessels, and we can actually measure the integrity of the glycocalyx, uh, basically how sticky your glycocalyx is. And uh, I found that I could give people, patients, uh, grapeseed extract, which is a polyphenol, and a polyphenol called pycnogenol French maritime tree bark, along with fish oil, and show that the flexibility of blood vessels, which had been stiff, uh, was then flexible, and show that the stickiness of the glycocalyx was removed and it became non-sticky. And then we showed that if we stopped those supplements, uh, they would return to inflexible and they would return to sticky. And if we restarted those supplements, the, the process would reverse. And that's one of, the, one of the early reasons I became so passionate about polyphenols. And I, I, I still have the same passionate about polyphenols. So yeah, there are clearly compounds that can help mitigate. Yeah, you talk about polyphenols and how many of the blue zones consume a wide variety of them. And I'm I'm completely yep. convinced that they're one of the best things you can do for your microbiome. And I, I suspect that they're probably going to help a lot with this new 5GC issue as well, based on the mechanism of action that you've just described. And I actually have, even since reading your book, been a little bit more cognizant about throwing a little bit of the, you know, whatever. I have like the Organifi red powder, and I've been putting that in my smoothie and keeping the freezer stocked with a few extra frozen organic blueberries and kind of gone from the, uh, the occasional, uh, I've been having a, uh, Croatian Palenkovac liqueur for a cocktail in the evening. I've kind of shifted back to just organic biodynamic red wine. Um, just because, you know, I, I do have not only beef and pork and lamb, but I actually do organ meats and bone broth as well, which I learned from your book are even more concentrated in new 5gc so this is this yeah. is good information for people you know eat your polyphenols and work in fish really good poultry etc preferably more than, than the lamb and the beef and the pork but i i, I did want to ask you something Stephen. that's not i suppose 
probably related to nutrition, but it is related to the blue zones. You know, I have heard some skeptics talk about inaccurate birth records or inaccurate or small sample sizes. Do you have any thoughts on any of the statistical issues with the blue zones? Well, and I talk about this in in gut check. Uh, I think maybe the most glaring example is Okinawa. Um, all birth records were destroyed uh, in the bombing. And so it was actually up to the U.S. military to record a date of birth. And what's remarkable about the Okinawan data is that there were a remarkable number of people who seemed to have the same birth year. And um, that statistically shouldn't happen. But if you're guessing or don't understand a language very well, you could certainly come up with that. There's also uh, most of the blue zones are actually very poor communities. And particularly in Europe, uh, the pension that's available to most European countries, including Italy and Greece, uh, is based on someone who's actually alive. And the reporting wow. of deaths would lose a pension. And so, as I speculate, and others have speculated, uh, there's a lot of underreporting of deaths in these oh, poor yeah. communities. So, yeah. Okay. I don't think it's any secret that I'm not a huge fan of big, clunky New Year's resolutions. Why? Because they usually rely on willpower. And willpower is a tool of your conscious mind. That controls just like 2 to 4% of your daily actions. Your habits, whether good or bad, in fitness or nutrition or productivity and beyond, they're all deeply ingrained, and that creates an internal thermostat that keeps you stuck in your current situation. Well, the good news is you're not alone. I've worked with thousands of clients who were all trying the right things but felt stuck and realized their willpower was not what helped them get out of their scenario. Instead, they needed direction, guidance, accountability, a plan, a program, and a big why, and I provide all of that with my revolutionary coaching programs. I have retooled the coaching programs. We have amazing options for you in our brand new elite programs from bengreenfieldlife.com. So you can join now and redefine your reality with a limited time offer of 40% off of your first month of coaching. Here's how. Go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash elite for a personalized coach set up perfectly for you to achieve any goal you want safely, quickly, and effectively. BenGreenfieldLife.com forward slash E-L-I-T-E. And I'll see you on the inside. Okay. So would you say, what's the island again? You said Andorra. Would you say that? And that's so Andorra is a little Andorra. country. Okay. Uh, okay. It's a country. But would you say that that is an example, like a more accurate example of what a blue zone would be? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's, we have to be very careful. Um, another good friend of mine is Walter Longo, who heads up the longevity center at USC. And Walter is very, very pro plant, uh, foods. Yeah. Uh, he, he's from Italy and, uh, Walter has a very, has a best-selling book in Italy about, eating why Italians live so long and uh, it's a humorous book to read and, and I, I I like the book but Walter would refuse 
to eat the foods in the towns that actually had longevity that didn't coincide with his belief system. And he doesn't like the fact that the second longest uh, life expectancy in the world is in Monte Carlo. And he just, he makes an argument in his book that, well, they eat a horrible, you know, that's a you know, horrible, uh, not plant-based diet, but they live so long because they have fabulous medical care. Well, if that argument is what you would use, then Americans ought to have the longest lifespan in the world because <laughs> yep. uh, we we clearly have at least the most expensive medical care, and we have some of the worst longevity in the world. So I don't buy yeah. that argument at yeah. all. Have you been to Monte Carlo? Oh, many times. What? I've actually operated in Monte Carlo many times. What do they eat there? It's a Mediterranean diet. Uh, you know, Monte Carlo long ago was as was Nice, was part of Italy. And so it's a very Mediterranean diet. But uh, they, I mean, they eat a lot of fish. They eat a lot of, um, um, they don't eat a lot of beans. They do eat a lot of pasta. Incidentally, the Acciarolis, these very long-lived people south of Naples, uh, they don't eat any uh, grain products. They don't eat any pasta. They don't eat any bread. It's thought long ago that they couldn't afford it. Uh, they do eat uh, lentils that have been soaked, but what's interesting about them is they eat a lot of small fish, anchovies, and, number one. And number two, they eat a ton of rosemary. And one of the things that's interesting about these people, particularly the older men, is they're uh, apparently very horny. <laughs> I think I've heard about these guys. <laughs> yeah. And you go, well, wait a minute. Why are these old guys so horny? Well, it turns out that there are several compounds in rosemary that, uh, among other things, are good mitochondrial couplers, but they also are, have aphrodisiac properties. And I, I just kind of did a little podcast on this recently. And it, so if, you know, guys, if uh, you want to get everybody horny, you just keep chewing your rosemary. Yeah. Or feed, or feed your goats and your deer and your cows rosemary. Because that, that, those polyphenols concentrate in the meat, don't they? Exactly. And in the milk. Or the ro- rosemarinic acid. That's what it's called. Yeah. Rosemarinic acid and your solic acid are two of the biggies. In fact, interestingly enough, all these, you know, sheep herders and goat herders actively feed their animals these spices and these plants because you're right you are what you eat but you are what the thing you're eating ate and we we tend to forget that yeah rosemary sprigs are also fantastic in a cup of coffee like if you have coffee and you kind of like stir it up with a rosemary sprig to cool it off you actually get rosemary acid in the coffee and it's a little bit of a cognitive pick-me-up too i was recently in Portugal and did that every morning. Get my coffee over by the spa. I go outside, walk out to the garden, get a sprig of rosemary, and and sip my rosemary coffee out there. It was fantastic. The other thing is sage. Um, oh, yeah. Sage was called salvia by the Romans, and sage in the basil family, the mint family, uh, also has some really cool um, 
polyphenols. And I was exposed actually in Seattle a number of years ago to a sage uh, coffee where uh, ground sage was mm. put in the process. And try it out. It'll knock your socks yeah, off. Yeah, that's fantastic because you technically could take a dried or even a whole herb and put it in a coffee grinder and just grind it up with the beans and use that in a French press, I would imagine. Correct. Yeah. never thought about doing that. It's a good idea. Um, you mentioned chicken. And I did notice like on one page of the book, you were talking about sardines and small fish and shellfish and their benefits. Then you talked about chicken, but you didn't say chicken meat. You said chicken gristle and chicken skin. It's kind of funny when we make our whole chickens at the Greenfield house. I'm the guy who takes all the gristle, all the skin, the knuckles on the end of the bones, and the rest of the family gets the meat. Because I just like to, to eat the weird bits of the chicken. But why is it that you specifically focus on those components of the chicken? And what should we be thinking about when it comes to chicken? So a couple of things, uh, like I talk about in the book uh, at the end of this part about new 5GC, they're, they're saying, oh, well, Dr. Gundry, then all you want us to do is eat chicken. Well, not so fast. Um, uh, again, growing up in Nebraska, chickens were farm animals and chickens were actually taken out to the pastures where the cows were grazing and chickens were released into the pastures and they would go over to the cow pies the manure and they would dig with their claws through the manure looking for the bugs and they would spread the manure they were after the bugs and then they'd come back to the hen house and lay eggs and the only time you ever ate a chicken was when the old hen couldn't lay anymore and she became a stewing hen hmm. and she was so gristly that you'd have to you know literally stew her overnight or all day and that's where you got all this great collagen from. But the chicken was basically an insectivore. Now, unfortunately, most of our chickens, particularly our organic chickens, are fed organic corn and soybeans. And so a chicken is no longer a chicken. A chicken is basically an ear of corn with feathers. Uh, as I talk about in the book, uh, a normal commercial chicken, uh, let me back up. Normally, if you're a foraging animal, you have a ratio of omega-6 fats to omega-3 fats in your flesh of anywhere from three to five times uh, omega-6 to one part omega-3. And that's a normal grazing ratio. If you look at an organic chicken right now, that ratio is 25 parts omega-6 to one part omega-3. So hmm. what you're eating is a giant ball of inflammatory mischief. Now, uh, I have uh, a farmer in Texas who I'm a huge fan of. I have no relationship. Farmer Dan, I've had him on my podcast, lectinlightchicken.com. And lectin like chicken, in fact, I had his turkey for Thanksgiving. Uh, he feeds their pasture raised, but he feeds his chickens uh, grain free, lectin free feed. And he now has a bunch of other farmers that are doing it. Now, he has his ratio down to five parts omega 6 to one part omega 3. And okay. we're actually twiddling, fiddling with his feed. We're going to put some more flax seeds in it. But the point of all this is a chicken is not a chicken anymore. And uh, you got to be careful where you get your chickens. The skin is loaded with spermidines. Uh, no kidding. Chicken, sk 
chicken skin is one of the highest sources of spermidine. And it's way it's way cheaper than a spermidine supplement. <laughs> uh, that's true. Those things <laughs> and are a lot, expensive. And a lot better tasting. <laughs> yeah. What was the other thing you said a while back is rich in spermidine? Now I'm forgetting. Uh, well, mushrooms are rich in spermidine. I think it was the fermented uh, cheese, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, fermented cheese are rich in in spermidine. Yeah, why why is Which spermidine you, so important? What's it actually doing? Well, it's a polyamine, and uh, these these compounds are actually really good mitochondrial uncouplers. And to me, uh, uncoupling mitochondria to to a point it does two things. Number one, it it stops, it prevents the damage to mitochondria, and you and I know. We're only we're only as good as our mitochondrial function is. And number two, it actually promotes mitogenesis, making of new mitochondria. And, and just just for the for the nerds amongst us, just give me an overview of what mitochondrial uncoupling is. How do you describe that to somebody on an elevator? Yeah, that's the hardest part. Um, normally, in the electron transport chain in mitochondria. Uh, the job is to energize protons and electrons and try to get a proton to couple with an oxygen molecule to then produce ATP. Uh, that process of coupling oxygen with protons is uh, very produces a lot of damage, free radical damage. There's a built-in system where there are essentially emergency exits in mitochondria where protons can escape without coupling with oxygen. And believe it or not, you and I sitting here, about 30% of all of our protons entering the elect electron transport chain are uncoupled on a daily basis, and that generates heat. Uh, what we found is, this was work by Martin Brand that was published first in the year 2000, and it's a cute little paper. It's called Uncoupling to Survive. And long story short, the more up to a point you uncouple your mitochondria, uh, the more protected your mitochondria is from damage, and the more you stimulate more mitochondria to grow, to carry the workload. So uncoupled mitochondria are good. And he's gone on to show that the longest living people have the most uncoupled mitochondria of any of us. So it sounds like that's a really good idea. The best example I can give uh, you know, there are many theories of aging, and one of the theories of aging that is, has been around forever is the cost of living hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And the cost of living says, hey, in general, a little animal is going to have a very high metabolic rate, and they're not going to live very long. And a big animal like Ben Greenfield uh, is going to have a slow metabolic rate, and he's going to live a lot longer. And that's the cost of living hypothesis. Mm. The only problem with a hypothesis is birds. Birds have an incredibly high metabolic rate, and yeah. yet parrots uh, can live 85 to 100 years. A hummingbird in captivity with a heart rate of 1,100 beats per minute can live 10 to 12 years in captivity. Wow. It turns out that 
birds have the most uncoupled mitochondria of any species, mm. which explains their incredible longevity. Now, where do they get their mitochondria uncoupled? It turns out from their food. For particularly hummingbirds, retinoic acid uh, is a great mitochondrial uncoupler, and hummingbirds live on retinoic acid in the nectar that they drink. Wow. Besides food, besides food, are there things that you could do to uncouple the mitochondria? Uh, sauna, cold, like are there any of these lifestyle practices? Yeah, exactly. Um, when I was a when I was a heart surgeon, we were researching what was called heat shock protein, and heat shock protein. We found that if we if we cut off the flow of blood in a coronary artery for five minutes, and then reestablished it, we would activate heat shock proteins that turns out were really good at protecting myocardial cells from damage. And we could cut off the flow of oxygen for an hour after wow. doing this and show that nothing happened. So I got, among other people, got really interested in heat shock proteins. And lo and behold, heat shock proteins work by uncoupling mitochondria. And so you're right, sauna is a method of uncoupling mitochondria. Cold plunges, uncouple mitochondria. That's how they work. That's how they're protective. Red light uncouples mitochondria. Oh, That's yeah. I forgot about works. that one. Yeah. Yeah. So all of these, you know, these all, all of these different divergent therapies actually converge in the same spot. And that is the more you uncouple your mitochondria up to a point, the better you're going to do. So smoke a cigarette, get in the sauna, do a cold plunge, and get some get some red lights. A Gundry morning routine protocol. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> st stay away from the cigarettes. Get yeah. your nicotine in yeah. a safer way. Yeah. How's hey, that? Hey, what do you think about booze? You, you drink alcohol at all? You have a take on that? You're right. I bring, I drink biodynamic red wine. Uh, one of the things, again, I spend quite a bit of time in Italy and France, going to these small villages and figuring out, you know, yeah, what do these guys do? And one of the things that we make the mistake is uh, wine is a beverage that's eaten with, that's enjoyed with a meal. There, there's no cocktail hour in these places. Uh, nobody's having, you know, two stiff ones before they head to dinner. Hmm. Wine is a, is a beverage that's a part of the meal. And wine is a great, particularly red wine is a great polyphenol delivery device. But you're right. You, you what we make the mistake is if we have a lot of alcohol all at once, it's really good at causing leaky gut and intestinal permeability. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta dose it correctly. And these, for instance, the Sardinians uh, have a Cannonau grape that many pe people think is a Grenache grape, but it's grown at high altitude. And, uh, Sardinian wines, biodynamic Sardinian wines, may be a piece of this puzzle on why they live so long. Yeah, and you talk about in the book uh, how polyamines can help to protect the gut lining. You also mentioned glycine. Yep. So arguably, you know, polyphenol-rich diet and perhaps some, some you know, glycine intake uh, before or after or during alcohol drinking could help a little bit as well with the gut lining aspect, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, one of the, there's a lot to like about glycine in many ways, but 
I think one of the tricks uh, of making glutathione is the combination of N-acetylcysteine, NEC, and glycine is still one of the best ways to generate uh, glutathione. In fact, I take a bunch of glycine and NEC uh, every night before I go to bed. Oh, yeah. And the, the cool thing is, that even though it's a little bit higher dose, I think I get up to four to five grams, glycine will actually Correct. Uh, shift the body's core temperature a little bit uh, downwards. That's oh, yeah. Other, it drops your temperature. It's a great... Sleep. Yeah. yeah, it's a great sleep inducer. Yeah, if you've got the meat sweats, if you've been uh, eating too much lamb and pork and beef before bed, have some glycine. So there you go. That's true. <laughs> well, Stephen, as usual, I mean, every time you, I get one of your new books, I learn a ton. And this new one is fantastic. It's, it's a gut check. And for those of you listening, you can go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash gut check to check it out. It should be out brand new. It should be out by the time this podcast is released. And in the meantime, if you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash gut check, you could leave questions or comments or feedback for Stephen and I. If you don't understand the whole lectin piece or the plant paradox piece, don't worry. I'll link to my first podcast with Stephen where we take a deep dive into that stuff as well. So Stephen, thanks so much, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I learned so much. Ben, it's always good to see you. You look well and uh, fit, and uh, that uh, that liver isn't killing you yet, so that's great to hear. <laughs> Not yet. All right, my friend. Happy holidays. All right, you too. Okay, later. Want free access to comprehensive show notes, my weekly roundup, cutting-edge research and articles, my top recommendations for everything that you need to hack your life, and much more? Visit bengreenfieldlife.com. In compliance with the FTC guidelines, please assume the following about links and posts on this site. Most of the links going to products are often affiliate links, of which I receive a small commission from sales of certain items. But the price is the same for you, and sometimes I even get to share a unique and somewhat significant discount with you. In some cases, I might also be an investor in a company I mention. I'm the founder, for example, of Keon LLC, the makers of Keon branded supplements and products, which I talk about quite a bit. Regardless of the relationship, if I post or talk about an affiliate link to a product, it is indeed something I personally use, support, and with full authenticity and transparency, recommend in good conscience. I personally vet each and every product that I talk about. My first priority is providing valuable information and resources to you that help you positively optimize your mind, body, and spirit. And I'll only ever link to products or resources, affiliate or otherwise, that fit within this purpose. So there's your fancy legal disclaimer.